0: Good morning, everybody. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, uh, we began our three-week study in John chapter 10 and uh, with a particular focus on this word, abundant. We're going to be in John 10 for three weeks, walking up to Lent. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that word abundant is similar to the word that you just sang a number of times in that song. Thank you for bringing us that song. I mean, what a great sort of emblem uh, for us, an anthem for us uh, to sing here, because... That word flourishing is similar to that word abundant. We use the word flourishing a lot. It's the center of our mission statement, to be flourishing together in Jesus Christ as a church, as a community. So in that sense, John chapter 10 is about the abundant life, the flourishing life. And it's not just a beautiful text to study. It is that. But it's also a great opportunity for us to to take a look yet again at our mission statement as a church. If we really want to lead a flourishing life, John 10 is a good place to start. So last week, we looked at verses 1 through 10, and Jesus' claim, when he says, I am the gate for the sheep, and we learned our first of three lessons, one lesson each week. The first lesson was, a flourishing life is only found in Jesus. We have lots of other competing voices, a lot of other voices that would seek to lead us. We affirmed last week as Jesus, the gate for the sheep, that he is our leader and the only one that can lead us to flourishing life. And this week, we turn to Jesus as the good shepherd. So would you stand for our reading this morning? John 10, 11 through 18. These are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who's not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life. In order to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. The gospel Of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So the good shepherd. This imagery of uh, of a shepherd and shepherding is evocative. It immediately causes us to consider Jesus as our leader. Because that's what a shepherd is. It's a type of leader guiding us through life. But here, Jesus doesn't just call himself a shepherd or a shepherd figure. He calls himself the good shepherd. Now, the importance of, of, of shepherding uh, from Scripture standpoint can't be overstated. It's a, it's a particular, um, the particular idea of God acting as the shepherd of his people is, is actually a theme, a motif that we can, we can trace all the way through Scripture from the very beginning of your Bible to the end of your Bible. First book of your Bible is Genesis. In Genesis 48, Jacob is on his deathbed. He's reflecting upon his life. And his declaration, his last words are, God, who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. it was God the shepherd who's been guiding and leading me. On the other end of your Bible, Revelation 7, 17, gives us a vision of, of the future and heavenly glory when the saints are brought before God. And John, the writer, states this, Jesus, the lamb in the center of the throne, shall be their shepherd and guide them to springs of living water, and God shall wipe every single tear from their eyes. It's the lamb on the throne that is the shepherd. While perhaps not found with the same frequency as other motifs in the Bible, the theme of shepherding is significant. It appears at critical times throughout the entire Bible, the narrative of God's people and it's really rich in content. All the patriarchs were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The leaders of Israel through the judges and the kings are often called shepherds and not particularly good shepherds, many of them. And then, of course, we can't forget the magisterial Psalm 23, which ushered us into prayer earlier. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the leaders of Israel are called shepherds. And, and that's the kind of leaders that they're called to be. Notice they're not called to be warriors. They're not called to be CEOs or taskmasters or delegators or managers. They're called to be shepherds. And Jesus here is saying that he's not just one of those shepherds. He is the good shepherd. Good in the, in the Greek language, the original language, means beautiful, right, mature, beneficial, so by calling himself the superlative, good shepherd," Jesus is telling us not only about the kind of leader that he is in his character, but also his place in history. There have been other shepherds before me who were maybe OK, but I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd. I've been really stirred up, as I've been going through this text all week this week, um, because being a shepherd's really hard. Being a shepherd leader is really hard. <laughs> I'm called to shepherd my family, to shepherd my community. You've given me the wonderful privilege of being called to shepherd this congregation, and I'm constantly reminded at how much more I need to mature in that role as a shepherd. It's a hard job. It's been a really hard season to be a shepherd leader. I'm sure you feel the same way in your families and some of your places of work. It's been hard here at church, too. I know that many of you, maybe all of you, are feeling heat in your communities, in your families, disagreements, difficulties whether it be about vaccines or masks or schools or racial tensions or political tensions. I was overwhelmed just this week with the amount of conversations I had and the, and the amount of you who reached out to me to essentially say, if I can boil down those, those conversations, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm so scared, I'm exhausted, I'm really conflicted right now. And the shepherd's job is to, to purposefully and tenderly lead and guide To never use the the rod as a cudgel, but only as a guiding instrument to still waters, to places of peace. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly reminded how deficient I am in this whole shepherding thing, how much more I have to go. It's hard for me to keep all of you in the fold, no matter where you are on some of these issues or tensions. I love you all so much. I want to be a good shepherd for you. Some days, maybe I'm edging on okay Lots of days I fall short. And on those days, that's when I'm most thankful to be reminded that I have the good shepherd in Jesus, who knows me, who's with me, who doesn't sleep or slumber, who leads me in righteousness for his name's sake. And what's the hallmark, according to John chapter 10, what's the hallmark of the good shepherd? What makes this shepherd so good? Right there in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus goes on to say that a hired hand in the field, uh, a bad shepherd, a deficient shepherd, would never do this, right? If a wolf came and threatened the flock, he would just run away because he doesn't really care about the sheep. He's not invested in those sheep. He would cut his losses. He would spare his life. He would get out of there. But not Jesus. Jesus. Because he knows the sheep. He knows you. He loves you. Uh, We often talk about the sacrificial lamb when we talk about the the temple system of of sacrificing, right? Atoning for sins. But actually, the idea of the the sacrificial lamb had meaning well before there was a temple in Jerusalem. Um, In Palestinian shepherding, the sacrificial lamb was actually a well-known thing. Because when a wolf or a lion would come and would threaten the flock... The most common practice uh, was not to just run away, but what the shepherd would do is he would grab one sheep from the flock and and take it and throw that sheep or kick that sheep to the wolf, right? Or to the the lion and sacrifice that lamb, which would give the shepherd enough time to take the rest of the flock and himself and, and get out of there and get to safety. That's what a sacrificial lamb is. Friends, are you starting to see what Jesus is saying here? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm the good shepherd who willingly becomes the sacrificial lamb. Don't miss this. Do not miss this this morning. This is the most important thing you're going to hear today or any day. Jesus humbled himself and became like you and me so that he could sacrifice himself to death so that we might live. He is not in any way willing to sacrifice one of his own. Instead, he goes, I'm going to take their place. I'll become the sacrificial lamb. And he becomes the sacrificial lamb on the cross where he dies for all of his flock. And he rises again to offer that flock eternal life where there will not be a lamb on the cross, but rather there will be a lamb in the center of the throne of glory and he will be the shepherd guiding us to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. It's not enough to just say, Jesus be my generic leader. We have to know deeply and rejoice deeply and marvel deeply in the reality of what makes Jesus different than every other shepherd leader who has ever lived and that is that he lays down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He becomes the Savior because we cannot save ourselves. If you've never gotten serious about that reality, that Jesus lays down his life for you, get serious about it today. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to respond with indifference or skepticism or annoyance? Because if it's true that Jesus did this for you. If the claims of Scripture are true, then the only response that makes any sort of sense is complete and total surrender. Getting to the end of yourself and confessing that no matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself because I always fall short. I need you, Jesus. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the response. Receiving the salvation that comes from Jesus. If you're ready to do that, or you're ready to recommit yourself to that, talk to a pastor, not tomorrow, not sometime this week when you have more time. Do it today. Do it today. Respond to the good shepherd because he's speaking to you. Go back and read John 10. Jesus says over and over again, they hear my voice. They hear my voice. You're hearing his voice today. Respond to it. It's time to follow. So a flourishing life is only found in Jesus and celebrating his sacrifice for you. But I want to take it a step further this morning because right after Jesus says that he has come so that we might have this flourishing life, this life in abundance, he immediately begins to What? start talking about laying down his life for other people laying down his life for the sheep i mean i think when we when we have a vision in our mind of what what a flourishing really like like abundant life would look like it's probably a place of comfort right where things are sort of settled things are good we've arrived but that's not what jesus does when jesus expounds on the abundant life he actually moves immediately a sacrificial living for other people. That's exactly where he goes, which leads me to lesson two. This is two out of three. A flourishing life is focused on others. It's focused on other people rather than ourselves. I mean, could there be anything more distinctly, uniquely Christian in this self-obsessed world than that statement right there? In a culture where we are encouraged to accumulate stuff for us, to find friends who agree with us, to carve out special me time for us, to invest our money so that we can turn that into more money for us, to seek out our advantage, our yield, our status, our needs. Being focused on others is something that we have to take seriously in this culture and this atmosphere because Jesus took it seriously. And if we're modeling our lives after Jesus, the good shepherd, it has to be focused on other people or else we are missing out on the abundant life, a flourishing life. I want to be clear, this is not an appeal to just merely do good works, because the fuel to do those good works for other people is the ever-present reality of Jesus being other-focused in relation to us. He thought enough of us to do this. It's our life with the Good Shepherd that fuels us to live as he lived. I had a good example of this this week. I got to sit down to lunch with David Swanson and Sonia Wang. They, um, David is the pastor at New Community Covenant Church, Bronzeville, South Side of Chicago. And, uh, Sonia is the director of their ministry, uh, in their community called New Community Outreach, a wonderful ministry. We've been partnering them with them for a few years. We, uh, um, partner with a, a, a vegetable run where we grab vegetables and uh, bring it down so they can do food distribution on Saturdays. We've helped them with their back-to-school fun fair in their community. And I got to sit down with them sort of beginning of the year to, to hear a bit more about their dreams and hopes for this upcoming year at NCO. And um I asked for an update in this difficult season, kind of like how are you guys holding how are you holding up you doing okay and I was so thankful to hear that actually their work, particularly with the youth in the community it's called their key program um that's exploded it's 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 grown exponentially in this pandemic season Is't that amazing with all the barriers to doing that kind of work right now that it's just like it's it's going crazy it's basically they they've had to say to to other schools and institutions that want them to bring their stuff, they're like, we're actually growing a little too fast right now. Hang on, hang with us. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And I asked, what's the catalyst for this growth in this program? And Sonia said something that that I've been thinking about all week. She said that for a couple of years, they assumed that they would be doing their curriculum on gun violence in schools, like workshops and, and education on that. That's really their focus. That's their need. Their biggest need in their community is combating gun violence in their community. Turn on the news. You'll you'll hear about Bronzeville, right? Just this week, there were shootings in Bronzeville of of teenage kids that died. So they assumed that they'd be going into the schools to to be going through this curriculum and working on that. And she said the work was kind of slow, but then they started doing something called peace circles. And peace circles uh, are something that they brought into the schools. They were not a workshop. They were not curricula. Uh, there, There are some curricula, but that's not really what these are. They were simply places for teens and people to share about the trauma that they faced and the difficulties they've had and the people that they've lost due to gun violence, their classmates and friends and family members. So they just kind of opened up this space for people to talk and the stories came and the grief came and the tears came and Sonia and her team, they listened to these kids and and they welcomed in more kids, and they started doing more peace circles, and then other schools wanted them to bring peace circles. Not a program, remember, just relationships. And then another school wanted them to bring them in. These kids are so drawn to these times, and real community is happening so well in these peace circles that, that even when there was a snow day a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, there were a bunch of kids who showed up to school after school, even though they didn't have school that day, because they didn't want to miss out on their peace circles. And then a number of nurses in the community heard about these, and they started sharing stories about the the the, the pain of, of having to deal with gunshot victims over and over and over again, some of people who they know. And so they started a peace circle with nurses in their community. And Sonia said, We let them tell us what they needed rather than us telling them all that we know. So for David, for Sonia, that whole ministry is centered on others. It's beautiful and it's flourishing, and it's why we do partnerships with places like NCO because, man, do we have a lot to learn, don't we? We have so much to learn from them about what it means to focus on others, to get out of ourse- outside of ourselves and focusing on the needs of others, and this is a great partnership because they actually go, we have a lot to learn from you too. That's what partnership is. So I see things in this ministry, NCO, and the ways that it's reflected in, in Jesus' own call to be focused on others, I want to just point out three things in this text that I think this ministry is doing well, but that we could also work on as well. Three things that Jesus says that, that lead to the flourishing life that comes when we focus on others rather than just ourselves. The first is this. Jesus says, care for others. Care for and about other people. Might seem obvious, but he uses this idea of the hired hand. Um, that, that hired hand's not going to be focused on others because he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. So it's fair to ask, do you care about people? And I don't want you to think about people far away, you know, way way in the city somewhere or somewhere else. I just want you to think about the people in your life. Do you care? Do you care about the day that your waitress is having? Do you care about how your coworkers and classmates receive you? Do you care when you see an obvious need in front of you? Does your heart get involved? Do you care? Do you care? I know that I typically can tell if someone actually cares about me if they talk to me and if they listen to me. That's a great place to start. It seems simple, but a lot of people just don't do this very well. Sonia, she created um, these peace circles because she cared to listen and to understand the needs of her kids. She showed up for them. She cared. Coming in, Pastor Eugene Cho um, used to tell this story about he was cast in a a play in college where he was um, supposed to play the role of a homeless man. And his director said, "Well, if you really want to get in character, you should go and you should go on the streets in San Francisco and learn what it's like. That'll help you get into character." So he took two days. He took a weekend to live as a homeless person on the streets of San Francisco. He wore rags, he sat on the sidewalk, put out a, a, a bucket for change. He had a sign. And he said that after two days of, of homelessness and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people passing him, and even a little bit of money, not one person really looked at him in the eyes. How's that possible, right? I mean, statistically, you have to have people, if if there are thousands of people passing, you have to have people who know and love Jesus, who understand what Jesus has done for them, and yet nobody looked at him in the eyes. How can you love Jesus and not think enough of a human being to recognize at least their existence? And I think it's because we're self-absorbed people. We have a tendency, if, if unchecked, to twist cruelly inside on ourselves so that we don't see or care about the needs of others. We don't hear them. We don't know them. Now, I know that homelessness is a a distinct and and difficult example to, to try and solve, but maybe just start with the people in your life. Would they characterize you as a caring person? Do they know that you care? Are you a listener? Do you show up for them? Second, everyone that you know and that you meet, is loved by Jesus. Jesus says this in the passage. Verse 16, he says, I have other sheep who don't currently belong to this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. I'm guessing that the Pharisees, when they heard this, they were confused. What we know, because we know the full scope of the ministry of Jesus, is that he's not just talking about Jews, he's talking about non-Jews as well, Gentiles. That his mission is that one flock, all people, would be under the leadership of one shepherd, Jesus, the living God. This, reminds, this reminder motivates me to focus on others because it means that every single person that I meet, whether I like them or not, or know them or not, or speak their language, or am drawn to them or not, they are created in the very image of God. They've been claimed by Jesus, and he is working actively right now, if they're not already, to bring them into the fold and to lead them out in the pasture of a flourishing, abundant life. This helps me to not see people as objects or subjects, but rather as fellow sheep, friends for the journey. I know the tension's been hot in our community. I've been hearing from a lot of you in various communities that the, the tension's been hot, in, in not only in schools and in places of work, but also even in families, families. I just want to remind you today, and this is Jesus' reminder, that the person that you can't stand is known and loved by Jesus. You need to know that. The person who opposes your viewpoint is wonderfully made, and Jesus said, I would gladly give my life for them. The person who is navigating this season and this pandemic in the absolute wrong way, and you can't even believe that they could possibly do that, they have the image of the creator in them and you need them or else you're missing out. I don't have time to go into the fullness of this talk, but I feel really strongly that you need to hear that the strongest and and, uh, smartest Christian thinkers throughout the history of the church have come to a virtual agreement that the highest form of maturity in the Christian life and following Jesus is enemy love. Love for those you can't stand. And it's a lot easier for you to love your enemy, the person who opposes you, when you can look at them and say, that person is deeply known and loved by Jesus. And guess what? We're in the same flock together. Jesus has claimed all of us. Third thing from this text is Jesus' model sacrifice for us. Sacrifice is a massive theme in Scripture. I'm not going to be able to do it justice now. But but I'd like to talk about sacrifice not like um, standing out at the train station and waiting to, to push somebody off the track so you can take the train for them. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is is when we sacrifice on behalf of others, there is hurt there. There is hurt there. M- not not in the way that you might think, uh, t- but think about this. If you're really going to focus on others, it's going to hurt your busy schedule, right? Because it takes time. It takes time to care for other people, it takes time, time to be others-focused. It's going to hurt your wallets, because you're going to be compelled to give generously to the needs of others. It's going to hurt your ego because you're going to be reminded that life is not all about you. It's going to hurt your status because you are going to be given constant opportunities to put yourself under and below other people who will probably never, ever, ever be able to offer you anything. It might hurt your bodies because when you go to bed, at the end of the day, you're tired. (laughs) It takes work to care for other people. But Jesus assumed that pain, that hurt for us, and we're called to embrace it for the sake of others. That's sacrificial living. So caring, remembering that we're one flock, embracing sacrifice. These practices are going to get us so thankfully and graciously outside of our self-serving rhythms and into a focus on others. You might notice that Jesus ends this passage by talking about his relationship with the Father, And that it's the love of the Father that motivates his life as the good shepherd. In all this talk, please do not lose sight of the fact that it's the love that Jesus has for you that should motivate your care for others. Because if we're just solid in our relationship with the good shepherd, but we're internally obsessed, then we're going to miss out on the flourishing abundant life. It's not going to happen but also if we're just solely focused on others and we lose sight of Jesus' love for us and the fuel that that is for loving others, then we're going to slip into a legalistic do-goodism and we're going to burn out in no time. These things go together. Jesus as our good shepherd and a focus on others. And they are key to our journey towards the flourishing, abundant life. So as a response this morning, I want to take just a couple minutes to pray. Um, we have a bunch of cards. Maybe some of you grab those on the way in. They're on that table. If not, you can um, you could feel free to grab one, or you could write on your bulletin if you have one, or a piece of paper. You don't need to write either if you don't want to. But what I want to do is I want to just give us a moment to pray. Sometimes when I write things out, it helps me to sort of, uh, I think it gets imprinted into my mind a little bit better. Um, and what I want to do, we, we, we have those prayer cards for you and, and I'm highlighting them today because they're always there and it's always an opportunity for you to grab one of those and, and to write prayer requests. Um, and you can put there's a there's a wooden box on the table. We take those every week as a as a pastoral staff and we pray through those together. So that's a way for you to share prayer requests. But what I wanna do this morning is just pray outward prayers, prayers for others. I'm sure that you probably come with things today that, that are worthy of prayer. We can Pray for those things, too. But for these moments, I just, what I want you to do is I want to take a minute to just go, God, get me outside of myself. Whatever, whatever the barriers are for me of being outward focused, would you melt those away? And just take a moment to rest in that. And then I want you to go, God, where is my, where, my prayer? Where are my prayers for other people? Is it a specific person in your life that you know needs love and care in this time? Is it a group of people? Is it someone who opposes you? (laughs) Who you need to submit and go, God, teach me to love them. Simon has some of those cards. If you want one of those, you can just let him know. I want to just give you a few moments of quiet in the stillness of this place. It is a gift. We have busy lives, noisy lives. So take it as a gift, the stillness and the beauty of this place. To first First just submit ourselves ourselves to God and say, God, would you teach me? Would you melt away my self-focus, and then allow him to reveal to you where he wants you to focus on others. Take a moment to do that now.